Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. Daniels and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Monday, October 30th, 2017. Boy, how time flies. Well, today's topic is, well, uh, where is the science? And this is a shocking uh, topic. You would think of course there's science. There's science everywhere. This is modern medicine supported only by science. I thought that too. That's why I went to medical school. I want to know the truth. I want to be right. I want to know with certainty what was going on. I didn't want people to guess and have all this mystery. So I went to medical school. What did I find? What I found in medical school is there was a lot of scientific uh, pontificating. But when it came right down to science, uh, there was almost none. (coughs) (coughs) And it was uh, shocking that there was uh, no science. This is the way a regular standard lecture would start <coughs> is, well, thank goodness we're in the era of science. We have microscopes. We have blood tests. And we can test to determine if indeed disease is present. And I would immediately be relaxed and say, ah, thank goodness. And then they would outline scientific reasoning, why we know what we know, why we can be certain, and then proceed to describe a disease for which none of those things were true. (coughs) So I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just 
told us. This was science. This is how we know. And then you tell us that this is the disease which fulfills none of the scientific criteria. I said, well, what's going on here? And he said, oh, don't worry. We will have the rest of the We have enough evidence that we can assume that everything else is the case. So, I think it would be helpful to uh, take a look at a few of these examples. Also, in the context of um, what's going on presently in terms of saying, hey, what's going on? There's now a questioning of whether or not (coughs) (coughs) primary care physicians like family practice are basing (coughs) their advice on any science at all. Never thought that would ever happen, but whatever. So let's talk about um, conscious postulates. That's that's an interesting thing. So conscious postulates is a series of rules. And if and when these rules are satisfied, we know indeed that one, there's an organism, two, it causes an infection. That's it. However, for pretty much all of the most recent uh healthcare infections, this is indeed um, not the case. So if we take a look at what conscious postulates are, conscious postulates say you must be able to isolate the organism, number one. Two, it must be uh, able to breed in culture. And you need to take it and isolate it and have it reproduce. If it can't reproduce, it cannot cause infection. Then, if you take a healthy person and put this disease-causing organism into their body, then, boom, uh, the disease will reappear. And also, that the microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease, but should not be found in healthy organisms. And finally, once the uh, healthy organism or healthy individual becomes sick, you must be able to isolate the microorganism from the healthy individual. Okay, so this is conscious postulates, and this lets us know that you've got a, a thing, an organism, say a virus or a bacteria, that causes disease, and that this organism does indeed cause this disease. So, this, this sounds pretty compelling, right? 
So just yeah, kind of like common sense. The microorganism, it should be found in abundance in all those who suffer from the disease, but should not be found in healthy organisms. So let's take a look at herpes. Herpes is very, very interesting. So if we take a look at herpes, the herpes virus, it's found in 75%, mm-hmm, at least 75% of healthy people. So the herpes virus, as a cause of disease, fails the first conscious posture, which is that it's found in abundance in all those who suffer, but it's not found in healthy organisms. So let's scratch that. That microorganism must be isolated from a diseased organism and grown in pure culture. This can be done, but guess what? It's never done. The test that's used to determine if a person has herpes is an antibody test. So it does not detect the microorganism or isolate it. And it's not grown in pure culture. What this means then is the second conscious postulate for someone who has herpes is not satisfied. And third, the cultured microorganism should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism. This sometimes happens, sometimes not. The infection rate is actually, hold on to your seat, 1%. So if you have herpes, let's just say you do, and you decide you're only going to have sex with people who are healthy, one in 100 of those healthy people will get herpes. And finally, the microorganism must be re-isolated from the inoculated disease experimental host identified as being identical to the original specific causative agent. This is actually never done in terms of uh, infectious disease. So we have a situation with a common infection, herpes, which is frequently treated by doctors, in which items 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 0, none of the conscious postulates are satisfied. So we actually have no scientific basis, at least not according to conscious postulates, to presume, deduce, or determine that indeed the organism identified the virus as herpes causes herpetic outbreaks. Very interesting. A lot of people will have herpes sores or canker sores all around their mouth. And you know these can be caused by B vitamin deficiency. Mm-hmm. So, herpes, a common accepted infection, actually fails the test for the scientific uh, association between the virus and what is observed as symptoms. This is important to understand because the 75% of people who are healthy have no symptoms. And a certain percentage of those symptoms don't have any organisms isolated, then we can't say there's a scientific association between the two. None. Let's go a little deeper. Let's go a little deeper. I want to take a look at Lyme, one of my favorites. Lyme disease, spelled L-Y-M-E, for those of you who are not familiar. So let's see. One, the microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease. Okay. So, according to the FDA, and the FDA is very firm about this, there is no test for the actual Lyme organism. 
And anyone who pretends to or who says they are testing for the Lyme organism, they're all fraudulent. I'm just saying what the FDA says. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. Just saying. Okay. So number one, then, there is no test. So the organism cannot be detected in any place. So here it says that my microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease, but should not be found in healthy organisms. So since there is no test for the Lyme organism, going to the FDA, I'm going to take their word for it, number one cannot be satisfied. Okay. Two, the microorganism must be isolated from a diseased organism and grown in pure culture. Again, with Lyme, this is never, ever done. Uh, there is a test for Lyme, but it's an antibody test. It is not a test of the actual Lyme organism. Now, I had a client with chronic Lyme, every single symptom. His life was devastated, totally ruined. But he had a curious habit. Whenever he would go to an alternative doctor or a regular doctor, he would insist his wife be tested as well. His wife was perfectly healthy, by the way. And so without fail, his wife would test higher and more severely diseased on every test than he did. Yet, she is in perfect health. And even when he met me, his faith was still not shaken until I cured his Lyme with absolutely no attention to any test results. So Lyme fails the first test of conscious postulates that is found in abundance. It fails the second test that has the isolated from diseased organism and grown in pure culture. And obviously fails the third test, which is that the microorganism should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism because this guy and his wife are having sex, right? She's perfectly healthy. Obviously, this organism has been introduced into her. And the microorganism must be re-isolated from the inoculated disease experimental host and identified as being identical to the original specific causative agent. So none of conscious postures can possibly be satisfied line by line disease because we miss the first requirement, which is that there must be an actual test for the organism. It actually does not even exist. I think that's pretty nervy. To create and unveil a disease, announce its existence without even having a test for it, but it was done. So, herpes, cross it off your list. Lyme, cross it off your list. My favorite, AIDS. I like that one. (laughs) So, AIDS, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's it's an acquired immune deficiency disease and caused by the HIV virus, human immunodeficiency virus. Yes. So, uh, here we are. So the AIDS virus, again, according to this theory, has to be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease, but should not be found in healthy organisms. Again, since the test does not detect the virus, uh, this cannot be satisfied. The test does detect antibodies to the virus. That detects the supposition or proposition that the virus may have been present at some time in the past. That would be a week, a month, a year, 10 years ago. So the test itself does not establish the presence of 
the virus. Okay, so failed conscious postulate one. Let's look at number two. The microorganism must be isolated from a diseased organism. This has not been done. Uh, not Certainly not in recent history, and certainly not in anyone who's under treatment for AIDS. This is not something that doctors are clinically instructed or permitted to do. Next, the cultured microorganism. So we're presuming it's cultured. So it was never cultured. So number three, that the cultured microorganism should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism. That is failed. Now, what else has failed? So that I all of these things. It turns out that when you have an HIV-positive person having sex with an HIV-negative person, the chances of transmission over the period of a year is 1 in 4,000. 1 in 4,000. A person, if you measure just a random occurrence of AIDS in the population in the United States, it's 1 in 250. So then, exposure to AIDS in the form of a partner that you're having sex with, like regular, actually lessens your chances of AIDS uh, at least a hundredfold. Or, yeah, at least tenfold, at least tenfold. So the, there is no evidence that the cultured microorganism would cause disease introduced into a healthy person if we look at the partners of HIV-positive people and we see that their frequency of, of becoming HIV-positive is less than the frequency of occurrence of AIDS in the population. So that means if indeed we accept that AIDS exists, and if we accept that the antibody test is a valid test, then this fails because the transmission rate when the microorganism is, or when one person who has AIDS introduces their microorganism filled secretions into a partner, that partner does not get the disease at a higher rate than had they not had sex. In fact, it's a lesser rate. And finally, the microorganism must be re-isolated from the inoculated disease experimental host and identified as being identical to the original specific causative agent. Again, with AIDS, this has never been done. So we've never taken the partner of an AIDS patient, isolate the virus from them, isolate the virus from the AIDS patient, and match the viruses between the patient and the partner. So all four of conscious postures have not been satisfied for AIDS. Now, you take a look at this. This is a pretty big, uh, pretty big scandal here, right? Uh, you know, you have to ask, where is the science? And so by its own um, admission and by its own criteria, the medical industrial complex has failed to satisfy any scientific basis for herpes, AIDS, or Lyme. These are some pretty big, uh, you know, high-dollar ticket items, if you think about it. I mean, now... Herpes, they're recommending lifetime treatment with some pills. AIDS, uh, treatment has already always been economically devastating at ten to $30,000 a month. And Lyme, I mean, there is no limit to what's recommended for Lyme disease. So we have a situation where the, oh, let's talk about the flu. Can't leave that out. Let's talk about the flu. So one, the microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease. This is not the case. 
there are fewer than 16 cases of flu every year in the United States. Whereas there are tens of thousands of people every year in the United States who suffer from flu symptoms. Notice they've now named it flu-like symptoms. And this is basically a kind of uh, offhanded admission. Eh, probably not the flu, but the flu-like symptoms. So, uh, among people who have the flu, the actual organism has been rarely identified, rarely isolated. Fewer than one in 1,000. In fact, when I was in medical practice, <coughs> we were encouraged to label things as the flu without even a test. <clears throat> even now, most times your doctor will not order a test. Even though the drugs for this disease, uh, the, the flu drugs, the pills, are very, very dangerous. So, it's not found in abundance in people suffering the symptoms. Number two, microorganisms must be isolated from a diseased organism and grown in pure culture. Again, this is not done for people who are infected. Next, the cultured microorganism should cause disease when introduced into a healthy person. Again, not done. But we failed to satisfy two of the four postulates. And finally, the microorganism must be re-isolated from the infected disease contact and identified as being identical to the original infecting host. Not done. In fact, in most cases of the flu, they don't even go through the trouble to determine how the person got it or who indeed the carrier might have been. When I say who, I do mean who, like which person. So we can add to this the flu, for which there's an amazing, massive vaccine campaign every year. And so according to conscious postulates, if conscious postulates are not satisfied, then there is no scientific basis for the disease. That's it. There is no scientific basis for herpes, AIDS, Lyme, or the flu. This is pretty impressive. When you think about it, they probably, um, you know, Every American has at least one of these, or I should say believes they had at least one of these. Yeah, so now moving into faith-based illness. So these are, are, are shocking. And the reason that we have this situation uh, is that, well, there is no science. There is no science supporting the, even the existence of the diseases that your doctor pretends to treat. The next thing, which we kind of covered last week briefly, is you know four out of the five top prescribed drugs, well, just roughly chalk it up to 80, 80% of prescriptions written, uh, they've now decided, I, won't say, I, I, I don't know who they are, because these things are simply written and issued to doctors. They're saying a doctor should no longer prescribe these drugs. There's just is not evidence that they're effective or safe. So if there's no evidence now that they're effective or safe, was there ever evidence that they were safe or effective? The answer is, of course not. And so where is the science? Well, I'll tell you where it's not. It's not in your doctor's office. So what's the answer? The answer is to understand that your doctor is a, a very astute fashionista. Yes, a fashionista. What your doctor does is he simply follows the changing fashion of what he's told to do. Oh, today prescribe it. Oh, tomorrow stop. Oh, more of this. Oh, stop to that. That is what doctors are um, instructed to do. 
So once you understand this, then you can appreciate that your doctor is not going to um, be a reliable authority on any condition that you, certainly not any condition that you don't already have. So don't accept any diagnosis of pre this or pre that, uh, or any any condition that you that you do have. So you need to understand that your own non scientific thoughts on the matter are no less valid than your doctor's non scientific thoughts on the matter. <coughs> so. We only have a few minutes left. I have a couple of questions here in the chat room, so I'm going to answer one of them. Uh, this one, I'm traveling to India, and it was recommended to me to take an anti-malaria drug like Primaquin before traveling there. What are your thoughts on taking anti-malaria drug? Is there a more natural, non-drug way to go? I'm actually going to India myself. I'll be there in December. Uh, and no, I'm not taking any drugs. No, I'm not taking any shots. So what would be a way? Let's just say you're worried about malaria. I can understand that. When you get to... Uh, India. See if they have any um, quinine water and um, that's what you would drink, quinine water. Now we have another uh, name for it here. And it's used as a um, mixer in a drink called tonic water made by uh, either Canada Dry or Schweppes. And who knows, they may even carry those brands in uh, India. So in my experience, it takes about three of these bottles a day um, to get rid of the malaria symptoms. So I would say it's much safer just to get a six-pack in your land. Okay. What else? <laughs> Okay, here's another one. Uh, Dr. Daniels, two weeks ago I began to have trouble with digestion. Okay, the whites of my eyes had yellow. Uh-oh, that would be uh, blockage in the biliary tract. My nails yellowed, itching all over my body. Black urine, that means the stuff supposed to go through the liver isn't going through the liver, it's going through the kidneys, which is not good for your kidneys. Turned out that I may have what is called post-hepatic obstructive jaundice. How do I get rid of it? Thanks for your response. Well, one way to get rid of it, unless you tried Vitality Capsules. Vitality Capsules help squeeze out those uh, bile ducts. So I always say hydrate yourself with uh, distilled water and clean up your bile ducts. Definitely try Vitality Capsules. I recommend extra strength. Uh, yeah, get rid of your constipation. You might be constipated. So get rid of that. You should have uh, diarrhea. That would be the best thing. And that will uh, flush out your ducts. Without knowing any more about it, that would be the thing to do. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, as always, think happens, and we will see you again next week.